Hi, everyone, and welcome to NBTV. This is CryptoBeat Live. And on this channel, we teach you how to control your own money and control your own data. And we have a bunch of stories from this week to dive into, all kinds of malware to talk about, privacy issues. So our first story we're going to dive into is going to be about the market crash. You guys have all seen red all week. I'm sure you've all been feeling the pain. It hasn't been great. Um, so we're going to dive into that, what's to come for crypto in particular, uh, in light of all the Fed's recent announcements. We're going to be talking about the million dollars of Tether that was frozen and some interesting things about stable coins that you may not have been aware of. So just a little bit of education there. Uh, we're going to dive into Norton's latest news that they're going to be installing malware. I mean, crypto mining software that they're going to skim a bunch off the top onto your computers. We'll dive into the details of that. And then we've got Telegram. If you are a Telegram user, you need to tune in for this segment because we uh, mean super important news that came out about hacking problems and malware threats out there that you to be aware of. And finally, I am really, really excited uh, to be diving into SEC overreach. If you watch the show, you will know that is one of my favorite topics to discuss. And uh, if you don't believe that the SEC is coming after all crypto, then you need to listen to what the SEC itself is actually saying and what uh, SEC Chair Gary Gensler is saying about crypto. So I'm really excited to have John E. Deaton on the show. He is a man who is leading the charge for a community who has decided to actually fight back against the SEC. So we'll dive into all the details of that. But let's get started. Let's talk about red everywhere, market crashes. So we had minutes of the Federal Reserve's December meeting released this week, and both stock markets and crypto markets took a giant dive. So the members of the Federal Open Market Committee said inflation readings have been higher and were more persistent and widespread than previously anticipated. You think? So it's a little bit scary. Generally, the Federal Reserve is pretty stoic when it comes to talking about inflation. And uh, and the fact that they're explicitly saying this is an issue, actually, this is a much bigger issue than we originally thought, that sets off alarm bells uh, for me. Now, generally, when people are worried about inflation, they're going to be diving into assets like Bitcoin, diving into crypto assets, diving into you know stocks and all of that. Uh, but this time, the market was uh, more interested in what the Fed's reaction was going to be to this increased inflation. So the committee continued that it may become warranted to increase the federal funds rate sooner or at a faster pace than participants had earlier anticipated. So they're also talking about tapering money printing. So essentially, uh, there, there are a couple of things that we need to, to keep in mind here. Now, uh, first of all, almost all of the chair uh, Fed committee members who talked about this said that they have revised their inflation forecasts for 2022 and have also revised them for 2023. So they're thinking clearly about all of this. And the Fed has previously projected at least three quarter percentage point interest rate uh, increases next year. Uh, this is after keeping interest rates at zero all through the pandemic. Uh, and now they're moving up their forecast to increase that to begin in March instead of June. So things are getting pretty crazy. So what does all of this mean? It suggests two things. Now, tapering of money printing suggests that there's going to be less money sloshing around and pouring into crypto and stocks, which explains why we took a big dive in the markets. Uh, and also the announcement of rate hikes tends to lead, lead people to deleverage. So they'll pull their money out of the most liquid stocks, essentially, like stocks and crypto. So a lot to take in there. And Bitcoin, I mean, it took a nosedive below 42,000, which is scary for a lot of people, especially if you got in recently and 
when you were used to like, ah, 69,000, it's only ever going up. Um, no, this is the way crypto rolls. Having, having been bringing you content since 2013 in this space, we've definitely seen a bunch of crashes. I would say, look at like zoom out a little bit. Um, look at what's actually happening in the wider economy. I would say a big takeaway from all of this is, you know, what is the Fed? how much control do they really have over the money supply, right? Because right now they seem to create this illusion that they're controlling it and they're tapering and they're doing all the right things to move the right levers. But at the end of the day, money is all about subjective value and the value of money is all about whether or not you think the next person is going to accept those dollars. So uh, it's uh, <laughs> it, it, it it's, can be difficult when you have people who lose confidence in a money supply. So we'll have to keep an eye and see what's happening there. But let's move on to our next topic. We're going to talk about Tether. Now, Tether froze over a million dollars worth of USDT belonging to a single address. Now, Tether freezes funds all the time. If you guys watch the new space, you will know that stable coins often get frozen. The important thing about this is that it all came from a single address. We don't know who owns the address, uh, but it's pretty significant. The reason I bring up this point, again, is just for a little bit of a you know, PSA for all of the viewers out there, people who may be hedging in and out of stable coins who actually don't realize what they're hedging out in and out into. Stable coins can be frozen at the protocol level, almost every single stable coin that you're involved with. So we're talking USDT, but we're also talking PAX, we're talking uh, BUSD, we're talking USDC. I mean, all of these have written into the code base, the protocol level, something that says, can these funds be frozen? True, right? So if you are thinking that you have financial sovereignty and you're trading in and out of different coins and you're like, oh, stable coins, they're like decentralized cryptos, I can control my money. Rethink that. They could be frozen. Your money is not in your control, even if you have the private key. So I just wanted to bring up that story because I think it's really important that people be cognizant of that when they're buying into stable coins, uh, not just to, to understand like when your money's on an exchange, it can be frozen, but the type of money, depending on the protocol itself, can also be frozen. And so uh, this means that, you know, if anyone is investigated, for example, then their PAX coins, for example, could be destroyed during an investigation uh, while their accounts stay blocked. So it's just, you don't have much control of your money if you're, you're keeping stable coins. Now, obviously there are exemptions to that. So Tether, we know is available on five blockchains. We've got Omni, Ethereum, EOSTRON and Liquid. When it's on Liquid, it's actually not freezable at the protocol layer. A little fun fact for you there. Um, but also things like DAI, you know, decentralized stable coins. Uh, there are a lot of decentralized stable coins out there. They can't be frozen at the protocol level either. So if you're diving into and out of these things, just be aware of the trade-offs. Obviously, a lot of collateral is needed for these uh, decentralized stable coins. But the, the trade-off is that you get a lot more autonomy over that and financial sovereignty. And it's not freezable by any third party like Tether. So on that note, going to take us to our next story. Let's dive into Norton, I'm sure you have all been keeping up with this giant news. So we heard inklings of this throughout the last year when Norton said that they are going to be adding cryptocurrency mining or something, you know, but it finally happened and we've dug into what Norton is actually doing. So they're bundling cryptocurrency mining tools into its antivirus software. And uh, let's kind of unpack that for a little bit. So first of all, an antivirus software usually is 
installed on a computer to prevent things like this. There's There are uh, viruses that will hijack your computing power and then redirect that towards mining cryptocurrency for someone else. Now, Norton has said, oh, that's a great idea. We understand how that works because we try to protect against it. What if we co-opted that? So, uh, I mean, it, it, it's not as malicious as I'm making it out to be, but it's not great either. And let's dive into why. So. First of all, this bundle is incredibly hard to delete. So you install this software on your computer. And I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen the McAfee video right in the chat, if, you, uh, if you've seen that and may you rest in peace. Uh, McAfee in, back in the day made this amazing video where he, uh, he was like, how do you uninstall McAfee antivirus? And then basically he had to take a sledgehammer to it. So it's kind of the same with like this Norton antivirus. It's incredibly difficult to un un uninstall these things by design. And so uh, first of all, this software, this cryptocurrency mining software is packaged into it. There's no notification that says, hey, you're downloading mining software. Uh, it just gets downloaded on your system automatically. That's not great. Now they say that it is disabled by default, but what they're doing is they're encouraging users to earn cash, a little extra cash for their idle graphics cards. And they miss the conversation about energy costs when you're mining, which is a huge conversation to have. And I worry that they're bundling this stuff into the computers of normies who have no idea how expensive it is to mine cryptocurrency, who are just going to switch this on thinking, oh, my graphics card's running anyway, I may as well make a few bucks off this. No, 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 no. Your, your computer is going to use so much more energy if you're doing this, and you're not going to be able to cover uh, the cost of the energy with the amount of crypto that you're getting. Now, if you wanted to use your graphics card for mining, you could use something like NiceHash. They take, I think it's like 2% off the top, uh, for, and they actually have an algorithm that directs your hash rate towards whatever the most profitable coin is at the time. That seems interesting. That's an interesting use for your graphics card. Norton is mining Ethereum, which, I mean, you're competing against all of these high-powered specialized ASICs in order to, to mine. Like it's not, it, it is not gonna be profitable for you at all. You're gonna be using way more uh, electricity. It's gonna be way more expensive to use that computing power than you'll be getting back in those tokens. And I just don't think that Norton has done, has made an effort to try to educate people about this. So just be aware of that. If you have people who are like, oh yeah, I wanna get into mining. Norton seems like a great job. Talk them out of it. This is this is not a good idea. So before we move on to the, the next topic, I do wanna mention something about antivirus in general. So NBTV has put out a video about antivirus asking, you know, whether or not this is snake oil, whether or not it's even needed. These days, it's worthwhile keeping in mind that computers have built into them uh, antivirus protections, anti-malware protections. So Windows has like Windows Defender, Mac has all kinds of things, Linux has its own security model. So uh, it, it's really an open question as to whether or not antivirus is even needed these days, which is probably why Norton's pivoting, trying to make a few bucks out of, uh, out of mining. I forgot to mention, they're taking a 15% cut off the top as well. That's not gross. That's net, uh, which uh, that's not net. It's it's gross, which means that, you know, that whatever crypto you mine, it's 15% off all of it. So, um, yeah, it, antivirus is kind of this opaque world of very complicated software that gives people God mode control of their devices. And you're kind of trusting this company, you know, with everything on your system. So you yeah, do some research about antivirus before you go diving into all of this. All right. Okay. The, the chat. Oh my God. The chat is going crazy. I just looked over at you and you guys are like, Dayton, 
Dayton, bring it Dayton. All right, Dayton's coming, guys. Dayton's coming. We've got uh, one more story that I want to dive into, which you all need to be aware of, which is Telegram uh, privacy. So Dayton will be up after this. New uh, announcements, so a PSA to anyone using Telegram. Um, and I'm sure that lots of people in this uh, chat are using Telegram because everyone in crypto uses Telegram. So hackers are targeting users on Telegram with malware. And uh, there was basically crypto wallets are being targeted as well. Uh, there was some findings from Safeguard Cyber's D7 threat intelligence team that said that there's something called Echelon malware, which essentially has been described as like ransomware, a malicious software program that encrypts files for ransom. But specifically, this malware has all kinds of, uh, you know, different programmability into it, all different capabilities that compromise your data and privacy. And there's auto download functionality. So this is the key point that I want you guys to take away. There is malware out there that can completely take over your systems and it's auto downloaded in your Telegram. So how do you stop this? All right, well, first of all, let's dive into you know, the person who discovered all of this. Now, OPSEC, an open source intelligence expert known as CIA officer on Twitter, uh, it's a great name, uh, detailed how the malware works and said initially, Several groups of researchers detected a virus in Telegram chats. You guys have all probably seen malware in your Telegram chats, so you've got to be aware of. Now, it affected users' computers only when they clicked on a file that might look like a PDF, but it might have a different extension. So they're trying to trick you and get you to download something that ends up uh, not being uh, the type of file that it says it is. Now, CIA officer... CIA officer, voted quote, obviously they're not a CIA officer, although who knows, uh, performed OSINT analysis and came across a Russian hacker forum where Darkseid and other famous bandits hang out and this where this bot was initially distributed. Now, the virus itself is a remote access trojan, meaning that it comes in under the disguise of something else and it allows remote access of that device. And this is fully managed via Telegram. They're selling this as MAAS. So again, I just want you to, to take a, a second. <laughs> Someone's saying that this is, isn't live, it's pre-recorded. I assure you this is live, guys. Um, this is this is really important here okay so malware as a service means that you don't have to be able to ha have to be a hacker you don't have to understand how to code you can basically go and buy a virus through a convenient telegram bot and then use that telegram bot as an interface to manage the infected device so you can be infecting other devices this makes it trivially easy to infect people like cryptocurrency users so you guys need to really be aware of this now it can also be delivered in any means, right? It can be glued. Uh, you can glue this virus onto almost any file. Now, in this group that uh, that CIA officer discovered with all these Russian hackers, apparently they wanted to improve the virus so that it could trigger on all the virus at once without a click. So this malware poses an incredible risk to all Telegram users. If you are using a tele, if you are using Telegram, then you need to turn off your auto download feature. My understanding is you need to do this across all devices. Not like if you do it on your phone, you also have to do it on your computer. I found that I had to do it on both. Uh, so once a file is received, the malware is automatically downloaded to the device without a user not knowledge. Uh, currently, the only way to stop this is to turn off that auto download feature. So please, if you came here for XRP or you came here for Tether, whatever reason you came here, 
I beg you, take this time to improve your security on your device a little bit. Go and disable auto downloads in Telegram and you will thank me later. And absolutely, you will thank uh, CIA officer, that Twitter user, for warning all of us. So finally, on to our final segment of the day. Now, over the past year, the SEC has tried to assert that their jurisdiction is over basically everything. And SEC Chair Gary Gensler said, you know, things like SEC needs more authority over crypto. Basically, everything in crypto is a security. He's even said that even DeFi is not exempt from security regulations, which is insane. So the fact that the US's stringent regulations are pushing uh, innovation offshore is really devastating. And we've seen such an incredible blossoming of innovation right now that US participants just don't get to experience. So it's not just that, but it's hurting people across the globe as well. For example, SEC filed a lawsuit against Ripple Labs at the end of 2020, uh, end of 2020 and the price of XRP dropped by more than 50% shortly after the news. And that's not the worst of it. The case against XRP is a precedent-setting case. So somewhat like the library case that we've talked about a lot on the show, uh, it's a case that is has a potential to affect all of crypto and potentially destroy all of crypto if the SEC uh, wins. But the XRP community is fighting back. So first of all, they sued for damages, and that's just the beginning of the battle. So one of the people spearheading this fight is the managing partner of Deaton law firm, John E. Deaton. I'm going to welcome him to the show. Thanks so much for joining us, John. Absolutely. So I've been hearing so much about this uh, this lawsuit. I mean, most people, when they talk about the lawsuit, they're like, yeah, SEC, they're going after Ribble Labs. You actually instigated a lawsuit attacking the SEC. And that's what I'm most interested in here. But before we get to that, uh, and you know why I'm interested in that, but before we get to that, I want to dive into the general um, SEC versus Ripple case. So can you just walk us through why the SEC is going after Ripple? Well, that's a loaded question, but let's first understand this, right? On the last day of Jay Clayton's full tenure at the SEC, he files this case against Ripple, alleging that not just XRP when Ripple sold it in the early years or even today as a security, but all XRP, including in the secondary market with people that have no connection to Ripple, they allege that that is a security. And imagine this, Naomi, seven and a half years of trading in XRP on over 200 exchanges worldwide. MG, uh, the SEC allowed Ripple to purchase 9% of MoneyGram and use XRP uh, in the exchange with MoneyGram. And then in 2019, Coinbase goes to the SEC and says, our sophisticated securities lawyers have run XRP through our framework and we've determined it's not a security. At least today's XRP is not a security and we plan to list it in a month unless you tell us otherwise. Did the SEC dissuade them? No. A month later in February 2019, XRP is listed on the number one exchange in the United States. But 18 months later, as Jay Clayton's walking out the door after meeting with Gary Gensler shortly before, he slaps this lawsuit alleging all XRP as securities. And if that can happen, and to your to your non-XRP viewers, Trust me, what you said in the earlier that this case is a precedent and that Gary Gensler and the SEC is going after all of crypto. If the SEC wins the case the way they're alleging it, then all crypto is in danger, even Ethereum. 
Yeah, no, everything is in danger right now. The SEC has literally said that they consider almost everything a security. And let's dive into what that means. So in America, it means that a whole bunch of the population is cut off from experiencing it because we know that there are accredited investor rules that say you can only participate if you already have money. Like you only have the opportunity right. to become rich if you're already rich. It's like, thanks, SEC, for keeping things so equitable. Um, but there, there are bigger issues as well. So it's like, talk to me about the sort of um, uh, the, the metrics they're using to determine whether or not this is a security because they're saying things like this has value on the open market therefore it's a security like it, newsflash every crypto has value on the open market like I just what they're saying I really do feel like you could plug in any cryptocurrency into their lawsuit and it would apply and would be considered a security so walk me through some of those um, things that they're saying about Ripple and saying why XRP is a security. I would encourage anyone, including and especially the non-XRP holders, to read the complaint because what you said, Naomi, is 100% accurate. Dozens and dozens of paragraphs in this complaint, you could substitute ALGO, ADA, Ether, uh, any altcoin into the paragraph in substitution of XRP and it would equally apply. For example, the SEC in its complaint says that all XRP holders entered into a common enterprise with each other and with Ripple. And the common enterprise is because we all benefit if XRP goes up. Well, you could say that about Bitcoin. You could say that about gold. You can say that about any commodity that's being invested in. Um, they said in the complaint, the very nature of XRP itself is a security. With that, everyone's heard, a lot of people have heard about the Howey case, where the orange groves were used. Well, basically what the SEC is saying today is that the oranges were securities back in 1946, and that's not what the Supreme Court said. Uh, Oranges are oranges, they're products. XRP is a digital token. And what they did in this case is something that they had not done in all the other previous prosecutions. They're going after the token itself. If they had limited mm -hmm. their charges to just be against Ripple, I would have never gotten involved. If they just said, hey, we think XRP in 2013 to 2015 was a security because the ecosystem was so you know, young and there weren't many developers, et cetera, et cetera, well, then I wouldn't be here today talking to you. But instead, they use that kind of language, the nature of the token itself, the fact that all holders of XRP are equally going to benefit with the price going up, that that makes it a security. And that's just absurd. Yeah, and I want to dive into that, break that down a little for people who may not understand the difference here. So, for example, SEC made some like non-binding comments because everything the SEC says is non-binding because they don't like right. making you know secure ru rulings about anything as they've sh they've shown. Uh, but they said things like, "Oh, well, Ethereum probably is decentralized enough today that it's not security, but when it was first created, probably was a security." Um, and what they're doing with XRP is saying, yeah, it was a security when it was created and it's still a security today. So what you're saying is they're attacking the actual coin. They're not attacking like the foundation, suing the foundation for releasing something. They're saying like, no, if you buy or sell XRP these days, you're illegally trading securities, which means that security, like XRP holders can't dump their XRP. You know, XRP, uh, it, no exchanges will go near XRP because they don't want to be liable 
for, you know, selling unregistered securities. And so that's created a huge amount of damage to the, uh, the XRP community because you have the SEC come out with like these vague notions and these lawsuits and whatnot. And, uh, and suddenly something that people were investing in because they thought it was a good product, just like it, it, they, they destroy that for people. So I want to dive into, first of all, this, uh, uh, filing that you made against the SEC to begin with. Nine days after the SEC um, uh, filed their case against Ripple, you filed an action against the SEC suing for damages. Walk me through that. Well, what I did is when I read the complaint, it was actually on Christmas Eve, I was reading the complaint and I got to the first paragraph on the first page and it said, same thing they said with library that you mentioned earlier, they, they called it a digital asset security. So they're using that narrative. And then they said from 2013 to the present day. When I read that, basically that means today's XRP, their claim is a security. So what I did was I filed a writ of mandamus. And what that means is I'm asking the court to order the SEC to amend the complaint to only allege what it can prove under the law. And it can only prove that XRP during these early years was a security when Ripple sold it. That's the only shot they got at proving it under the Howey test. But instead, they included secondary market sales. And so I went to the judge saying they need to amend the claim to only allege what they can prove. And if there's any money or any settlement from Ripple, that needs to go to XRP holders, not the big black hole of the U.S. Treasury. That goes to XRP holders who were damaged. So that was the first uh, the first thing I filed against the SEC. Yeah, and what an awesome move. Can I just like take my hat off? Everyone hit the like button and uh, and show John that you are really appreciative of all of this work because the fact that you were brave enough to go after the SEC and super damages is, I mean, it's something a lot of people would not undertake, but you're right that it's all XRP holders who were affected by this. And, uh, and honestly, it's all crypto holders in general, if we just zoom out, who will be affected by this because if this, if they succeed with this case against, uh, Ripple, it is going to affect the entire industry. As I mentioned, you know, there's a similar lawsuit against, uh, Library. All of these things are basically saying any cryptocurrency that was created, um, you know, is a security. And it's crazy because they're talking about decentralization, right? They're talking about is this decentralized enough? And they're going back to the foundation it's like yeah like give it enough time to become decentralized dude like don't think like <laughs> of course it, like everything starts out with like a single person or a single team kind of building this stuff like so it, it, like that's why i like hester purse the only rational person in the sec who's like let's have a safe harbor rule let's say that cryptos could do what they want for an x amount of time as long as they prove that they're moving towards decentralization what they're doing against xrp is just insane so after that you took this action against the sec um sec objected and then you filed a motion to intervene as a defendant walk me through all of that Sure. The SEC objected and they basically said in, to my writ of mandamus, only the Southern District of New York is the, the court of jurisdiction. I said, fine, that's an invitation to me. I withdrew the, most, the writ of mandamus and I filed a motion to intervene, alleging something that isn't often done, if ever. And that was at that time, I had 20,000 XRP holders. Today, it's 63,000. Wow, that that's we a were lot saying, of people. We, we were saying to the court, they've basically sued us anyways, judge. So we might as well be named defendants in the case. 
And then the alternative, if you're not going to take that extraordinary measure, then we should be granted amicus status so that our that we could be heard. Ripple can defend Ripple, but someone needs to speak for the individual XRP holder and they mm-hmm. need to be heard. And the judge granted uh, amicus status to myself on behalf of XRP holders and stated, quote, they deserve the court deserves to hear the meaningful perspective of XRP holders and that's uh, what we're doing. And so you're providing that meaningful perspective. You are fighting on behalf. And it's not quite that you're the defendant in this case. And it would be better if that were the case because we could you know, show that, yeah, what the SEC is literally doing is suing 65,000 people and more, like suing so many people out there, anyone who's involved with XRP. And it's just, it's really, really, it's mind-boggling. Anyway, so uh, you got granted this status. Let's talk about the precedence that this would set across the industry just as we wrap up here. Um, what hopes does the, do the XRP community have of winning this lawsuit? And you know, is there a possibility we can change uh, Uh, SEC securities laws? Well, a lot of people have talked about a potential ripple test, right, as opposed to the Howey test. But that only happens if you get to the Supreme Court or an appellate court where they develop it. What XRP holders, uh, do I believe we're going to be successful? Yes. I believe we're going to be successful because the law is on our side and the facts are on our side. The asset itself, if you go back to the Bill Hinman speech in 2018, where he said, you know, Ether, today's Ether is not a security. Um, if you go back to that and read, he even said the asset itself is never the security. It's the scheme, the marketing, the advertising. So the fact that today's XRP in the secondary market is what I'm focusing on. I'm going to mm-hmm. go to the court and I'm going to ask that secondary market sales in 2021, 2022, that they are not securities as a matter of law. And if that happens, then the exchanges will have the confidence to relist it and XRP liquidity in the United States can return. And also, I mean, what you're doing is fighting for everyone, not just for XRP right now. If you're, if the SEC wins this case, then the SEC will basically be able to go after any cryptocurrency from now on and say, okay, this is, this is shut down in the United States. When it's shut down in the United States, we know that the US has a very long arm of the law that reaches into any other jurisdiction that it wants. So this affects crypto across the world. I mean, just closing thoughts here, John, what do you think about the SEC just wielding so much power in this uh, situation? It's very clear that this is not about the facts of the case. It's very clear that this is just about control for them. So like, what's it going to take to actually be able to overcome this giant bureaucracy that is threatening to kill crypto in its entirety? Unfortunately, the real answer is Congress and, you know, Congress doesn't act very fast. And and mm. if you don't mind, I don't get any uh, advertising on it. It's all free. It's, I created Connect to Congress on CryptoLaw.us where you can just pop, plug in your zip code and send a message and it'll go to your two U.S. senators and your uh, House of Representative members and you can speak out. And I think that that's our biggest advantage. I think that the crypto voting block is going to speak loud in these midterm elections. And we need to get Congress to take that away because you're right. Does anyone doubt that if the SEC is successful against XRP, that Gary Gensler is just going to stop there? I mean, really, does anyone think that? So 
I That's don't. probably okay. I, I know I said we were going to wrap up here, but I got one more question for you, and it's about tribalism. So we've got the XRP tribe here in the chat. They're going crazy. Don't forget to to like the the video, guys. Don't forget to subscribe. That really helps out the channel. We can get more information uh, to more people that way. But the problem with the crypto community at large that I see is that it's fractionalized into all of these different tribes and XRP community gets hit with this lawsuit and everyone else goes, oh, okay, it's just XRP, who cares? And that really bothers me because hardly any of them have bothered to look into the case, hardly any of them understand what a precedent-setting case this is. The same goes with Library that I've mentioned. SEC is suing the Library Foundation uh, for issuing the LBC token. And it's all the same thing. A lot of people turn the blind eye and they say, oh, it's just LBC. You know, why should we care? And it bothers me that we are not all united fighting the same beast. Crypto was created as a way to decentralize money, to give power back to the people. and what we're doing right now is ignoring when people are being persecuted in this community because it's not us and i think we need to be joining forces what hope do you have that we could get like a rallying cry around this cause from a broader crypto community not just from xrp holders you are 100 percent on and i'm with you about the tribalism i've been speaking out against it what shocks a lot of people is that they call me the xrp attorney right because i'm doing this on behalf of the xrp community but I own ETH, I own Bitcoin, and this isn't about XRP itself. What people have done, and, and some people don't like Brad Garding House where they, they think Ripple you know, is more centralized because they own more of the tokens and all that, and they think it's not gonna happen to them. And it's a very slippery slope. And I'm warning everyone, just don't believe me, pull up the complaint and read it. And if you own Algo or ADA or, or anyone, I don't mean to pick on any particular one, it doesn't matter. You could literally substitute the crypto that you own and love for XRP and the language would equally apply. And that is dangerous. And so I, whether you hate Ripple, you don't have to root for Ripple, but you need to root for crypto and you need to root against the SEC's overreach. And that I think is the common bond that can bring us together. Even if you think XRP sucks, you can still root against the SEC. Yeah, that's not going to stop, guys. Remember that the SEC is a taste for power. They're going to keep going. As John said, they're not going to stop with XRP. And Honestly, if I were a government, I'd be trying to shut down crypto too. It really does threaten um, a lot of the standing fi like financial institutions, bureaucracies out there. It threatens things because it does change the balance of power and give power back to the people. And obviously, government agencies don't like that. So do exactly what John said. John, can you give me that uh, website address one more time where people can go, they can type in their name, send a, a comment that's automated to their congressional representatives. Walk me through that address and how they do that. Sure. It's uh, crypto-law.us, and there's a tab on there called Connect to Congress, or you could Google Connect to Congress Crypto Law, and it'll come up. It's very user-friendly. You just type in your address, type your message, and it immediately goes to your elected officials. And I can tell you, I'm very proud of this because we're pushing almost 12,000 messages have been sent to all 100 senators in every wow. House of Representatives since october and so the message is getting there and i encourage them to to do that and again there's no benefit it's a free service i don't tell them what to write they write whatever they want 
That's awesome. So go use that. I've used a lot of similar services for other, uh, you know, fights against government bureaucracies. It's good to just let your congressional representatives know. Apparently they do uh, sometimes listen. This stuff does help. So if you do have just two seconds, go do that. And it can make a real difference in this case. So John, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great chatting with you. I wish you and the community all the best. And I really hope that we start to bring that balance of power back so that it comes back to the people rather than with institutions like the SEC. So that's thanks to the work of uh, people like you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining NBTV with our Crypto Beat live show. Don't forget to smash the like button. Also hit subscribe and the bell notification before you go. This helps us bring you more important news, helps bring educational content about how you too can control your own data, control your own money. That's what this channel is all about. We're here to help you, give you the resources that you need so that you can live a more free life. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate you. Now go and have a wonderful weekend and enjoy yourself. Keep fighting for privacy and crypto and all those things. See you uh, next Friday, same time at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Friday.